message. Let it bring glory and honor to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Luke chapter number uh, 11. And, of course, we have been going through this series called Journey with Jesus, and it really has just been a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Luke. We're preaching through the Gospel of Luke and studying it out. And this morning we find ourselves in Luke chapter number 14, uh, right where we left off from the last service. And uh, this morning and also tonight, uh, we're going to be dealing with a little bit of an unpleasant subject. I think it's an, it's an interesting subject, but it's a little bit of an unpleasant subject. And we're going to be talking about the devil. And specifically because of the fact that uh, Jesus deals with that in these, in these verses, Luke chapter 11 verses 14 through 26, have a theme about the devil and his devils or his demons. And uh, we're gonna, so we're going to be studying that, that out uh, this morning. But also tonight, I'd like you to know that when we were in Luke chapter 10, if you remember, we were in Luke chapter 10 several weeks ago, there was one verse in Luke chapter 10 and verse 18 in which the Bible says that Jesus said, and he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And I told you at that time that I would be preaching an entire sermon just on that one verse and that subject, and I'm going to be doing that tonight. So I figure if I've got, if we've got to talk about the devil, let's just do it all in one day and, uh, and, and get, over, get it over with, you know. Uh, but we're going to be looking at the subject of the devil tonight, or this morning, and also tonight. Uh, tonight, we're, this morning, we're looking at the kingdom of the devil, and tonight, we'll be looking at the fall of the devil. And uh, if you've got if you're taking notes, and I always encourage you to take notes, on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to write some things down. I'd like you to maybe write down three, three different points we'll be looking at uh, this morning. You're there in Luke chapter 11. Notice there in verse 14, the Bible says this, and he, this is Jesus, was casting out devils. We'll notice that this is something that Jesus is commonly doing throughout the Gospels. And it's really the theme, like I said, of the next 13 verses. The Bible says that he was casting out devils, and it was dumb, And it came to pass, when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake. The word dumb there, D-U-M-B, in our King James Bible, is in reference to the fact that this person had a physical ailment. They were not able to speak. We would refer to them as mute. The Bible says that Jesus was casting out a devil, and it, the devil, was dumb. And it came to pass, when the devil was gone out, when he cast out the devil, the dumb spake. So, referring to the person that had been demon-possessed, they were able to speak. So as a result of having this demon in them, they had this inability to speak. But when Jesus cast the devil out, the dumb spake, and the people wondered uh, at this uh, great miracle. And let me just say this, and I'm not necessarily preaching on this this morning, but let me just go ahead and cover it since we're studying the Gospel of Luke. I might as well cover all these things, especially if this is something that I get asked about from time to time. And I want you to notice that in the Bible we will find that Jesus performed miracles and he healed a lot of people. And most of the time when we see Jesus healing somebody, the, the Bible, this is a theme throughout the Gospels, the blind see, the, 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 the dumb speak. Um, the, the Bible tells us that those that had the inability to hear are, are able to, to hear. And when, when we see that throughout the Gospels, we'll find that Jesus often healing these people. And oftentimes he does it just through the power of his word. He just tells them to be healed. He just tells them their eyes to be opened, and he's able to do that. Sometimes we see him take a physical approach. That from time to time, we see the Lord Jesus Christ maybe take dirt from the ground and, and spit in it and put it on their eyes or something like that. And, and sometimes we see this, where there's a physical healing due to a, a demon that has possessed a person. I just want you to understand this and answer the question for those of you that may be wondering. Some uh, medical problems, according to the Bible, may be as a result of demon possession or being demon possessed. Now, I'm not saying that every dumb person or every mute person uh, or every deaf person has a demon in them because the Bible does not teach that. But the Bible does tell us here that there may be some medical problems that are not due to a physical ailment, but due to a demon. And here's an example where this person was dumb, and it was a result as of them having a demon that gave them that ailment. Sometimes Jesus would heal people that were dumb and blind and deaf, and it had nothing to do with the devil. It was a physical ailment. And let me just say this as well, because it's a question I get asked a lot. We're talking about devils this morning. You know, when it comes to mental health, 
sometimes people have this idea that if somebody has a, a mental health issue, that they, they must be demon-possessed. And I, and I will say this, the Bible definitely teaches that there are some people who we might consider having mental health issues that are demon-possessed, but just in the same way that not everyone who's dumb not everyone who's blind has a demon. Sometimes it could be as a result of a demon. Sometimes it could be a result as a physical, of a physical medical issue. Not everybody has a mental health issue, has a mental health issue as a result of a demon. It could be as a result of an organic injury to their brain. There, there, there's, there's reasons for that. So I just want you to understand because people oftentimes, especially preachers, they like to create these, these harsh lines, you know, and it's like if you're you know, if, 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 if you've got some sort of a mental health problem, then you must have a demon. Um, but the Bible does not, does not do that. Sometimes, in fact, most of the time we see medical issues are medical issues, but every once in a while they're demon possession. And we could take that idea and understand that with mental health the same way. Sometimes it's mental health issues because of an organic problem, an injury to the brain. It's drugs, you know, just destroying your brain or whatever. Uh, but sometimes it may be as a result of demon possession as well. So anyway, just throwing it out there because that's a question that I often uh, receive. And here's uh, an example of the dumb spake and the people wondered. Look at verse 15. But some of them said he casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And I'm not really talking about the, the dumb spake this morning. I just want to uh, give that information. But I want you to notice that today we're going to look at this idea of the kingdom of of the devil, and I want you to notice, we'll start this morning, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down, I want you to notice the ranks of the devil. When it comes to the devil and his minions, there is a hierarchy within his organization. Notice there in verse 15, again, it says, but some of them said, he casteth out devils through Beelzebub, and I just want you to notice the, 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 the title that Beelzebub is given, the chief of the devils. So Beelzebub would be the boss. He is the, the highest ranking officer of the devils. And of course, Beelzebub, we know, is Satan. And I'm not going to take the time to go through uh, all of the, the verses to prove that. You can study that out on your own if you'd like. If they're in Luke, I'd like you to go to Mark, if you would, Mark chapter 9. Obviously, Luke is our text for this morning, Luke chapter 11. Go to Mark chapter 9. If you go backwards from Luke to Mark, Mark chapter 9. Uh, but if you'll study the Old Testament, just to give you a little information, the, the term Beelzebub is a term that was uh, given a name, a title that was given to Satan, and it is used throughout the entire Bible. You might be familiar, if you've read the Old Testament, with a prominent false god by the name of Baal. And of course, Baal is was Satan, and Baal is Beelzebub. And throughout the Old Testament, you have him called Baal. Sometimes he's called uh, Beelzebub. Uh, sometimes he's called Belial. You've heard of the sons of Belial throughout the Old Testament, which were reprobates. And here, Beelzebub. These are all terms and terminology used for Satan. And the Bible tells us that Beelzebub, or Satan, is the chief of the devils. And I want you to understand that when it comes to the devil and his, and his demons, his devils, there is a hierarchy and a ranking system within the organization and the kingdom of the devil. And there is a hierarchy uh, within the angels of God. You're there in Mark 9. Look at verse 34. Mark, uh, excuse me, I told you to go to uh, Mark, and I apologize. I want you to go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 34. You're there in Mark, just flip over to Matthew. Matthew chapter 9, verse 34. Matthew 9, 34. Notice what the Bible says, Matthew 9, 34. But the Pharisees said, he casteth out devils, notice, through the prince of the devils. And again, the word prince is a term used uh, for ranking and ranking systems. Prince, principalities, all of these are positions of Authority. So I want you to notice that the bad guys, Satan and his devils, they've got ranking systems. They've got the chief of the devils, the prince of the devils. Also, the good guys. Go, go to Jude, if you would. Jude, uh, there's one chapter in Jude. Right at the end of the New Testament, you have the book of Revelation. The last book of the Bible is Revelation. Right before Revelation, you have the book of Jude. Jude, and look down at verse number 9. The bad guys have a hierarchy, They've got the chief of the devils, the prince of the devils, and the good guys have a hierarchy within their system as well. Notice Jude 1.9, yet Michael, the archangel, notice that phrase archangel, and we don't really understand everything that the Bible teaches about the spirit world and how all these ranking systems work, but the, the, the fact that Michael is referred to as an archangel seems to indicate a high rank. 
And we'll see that in the book of Revelation here in a minute. We'll see that Michael is really the leader of the angels, and he's the one that leads them into war. And so that term, an archangel, and again, we don't really understand all of that, but it indicates that there is a ranking system within the angels, yet Michael the archangel. I want you to notice this, all right? Jude 1.9. Yet Michael the archangel, all right, a high-ranking angel within the angels of God, the holy angels, when contending, referring to fighting, with the devil. Now, we know that the devil is, is Beelzebub, the chief of the devils, the prince of the devils. He disputed about the body of Moses. Notice what the Bible says about Michael the archangel. Durst not. The word durst means he dared not. He did not dare bring against him a railing accusation. Bring against the devil a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. So I want you to notice that though Michael is a, an archangel of high rank, he has some respect. And when I, when I use the word respect, I don't mean it in an honorable way, but he, he has some respect for the devil in the sense that the Bible says that he durst not bring a railing accusation against the devil. So though Michael the archangel is an angel high in rank, he understands that Satan is a powerful angel as well. He understands that Satan is, is, is a powerful being as well. And when contending with the devil and dispute about the body of Moses, he durst not bring against him a railing accusation. You say, what does that mean? The railing accusation means he, he dared not to just, you know, to put it in our, 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 our modern terms, I guess. He didn't want to, like, talk smack to the devil. You know, he dared not bring a railing accusation. He didn't want to say say something insulting to the devil. He didn't want to, you know, tell him, you know, your mama this or whatever. Um, he durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. He, instead of him rebuking the devil, Michael, you know, brings the credibility of a, of a more powerful being, God, and he said, the Lord rebuke thee. And, you know, something we can learn from this is, look, if Michael the archangel has respect for the devil, and when I say respect, I don't mean that in an honorable way. I mean respect in the sense that he realizes this is a dangerous foe and not someone to mess with, then you better believe that you and I as Christians need to be careful with having this loose idea about the devil. You know, and just thinking like, oh, it's no big deal. And Christians today will listen to music that promotes the devil, that promotes the occult, that promotes uh, worship of the devil. And, they, and, and Christians think, oh, it's just not a big, it's just a song. It's just, the, it, it's, it's not a problem. They'll play with a Ouija board. They'll, 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 do the, they'll, they'll watch these movies that promote the devil. Let me tell you something. Michael the archangel durst not bring against him a railing accusation. He realized that, this was a, that the, the devil is a formidable foe. He's an enemy, and we need to be careful. So we see the ranking symptoms. Go, go to Revelation, if you would. Revelation, you're there in Jude. Just flip over to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. Let me say this about the archangel. Again, we don't really understand all that terminology. I will say this, and if you're interested in this, I'd encourage you to come back tonight because we're going to go through this in detail tonight. But in Ezekiel 28, verse 14, you, you go to Revelation. Don't go to Ezekiel 28. We're going to look at that tonight. But let me just point this out. In Ezekiel 28, and verse 14, the Bible tells us before the fall of Satan that he was referred to as the anointed cherub that covereth. He's referred to as the anointed cherub that covereth. And, and again, the Bible does not give us a lot of details about this, and I don't really like to speculate on Scripture, but we're dealing with the subject, so let me just kind of give you my thoughts. The Bible calls Satan, before his fall, the anointed cherub that covereth. The Bible calls Michael the archangel. And we know that in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle of God, when you went into the Holy of Holies, God had commanded that they build an ark, and on that ark, he had commanded that there would be two cherubims that would be built, uh, these, these cherubims upon the ark, made out of gold, and that their wings would cover the ark. So it's, and we know this, that when Moses got the vision for the tabernacle, including the ark and all the furniture that goes into the tabernacle, the Bible tells us in Hebrews that the way he got that vision is that God allowed him to see the tabernacle and allowed him to see into the Holy of Holies in heaven. Moses physically looked at what God had in heaven and then made a replica, that, uh, a replica of that on earth. So my thoughts are that both Michael the archangel and uh, uh, Lucifer 
would have been the two highest ranking uh, angels in heaven, and they would have been the archangels or the uh, anointed cherub that covereth, that would have actually covered the holy of holies in heaven. And that's what Moses saw, and that's why God had him create these cherubims that covered the ark. And again, I'm not trying to go into a lot of deep uh, things like that, but I know some of you are uh, like that kind of stuff and are interested in that. And it highlights for us the, the ranking system. Now, notice in Revelation 12, we'll see again that Michael and the devil are kind of put in the same level. Revelation 12 and verse 7, the Bible says, And there was war in heaven. We'll talk about this as well. We'll go through Revelation 12 in detail tonight. Uh, so if you're interested in this uh, passage, come back tonight. But here in Revelation 12, the Bible says, And there was war in heaven. Michael, notice, and his angels fought against the dragon. Now, the dragon is Satan. The Bible, Revelation 12 tells us that, that it's the dragon is Satan, the old serpent, the devil. They fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought, notice, and his angels. So I want you to notice that there seems to be these ranking systems for the good guys and the bad guys. Michael is the archangel. Uh, 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 Lucifer, or Satan, is referred to as the chief of the devils, Beelzebub, or the prince of the devils. And we know that before his fall, he was the anointed cherub that covereth. Go to the book of Daniel, if you would, Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10 in the Old Testament. And I realize that this morning's sermon may feel more like a Bible study. I hope that's okay. I uh, hope you like the Bible. Uh, but uh, we'll definitely have some applications and stuff at the end. But uh, we're going to be, both this morning and tonight, are going to be more heavy on Bible study and uh, with applications at the end. Daniel chapter 10 in the Old Testament, if you find those big prophetic books, they're all clustered together. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10 and verse 13. Notice what the Bible says, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now Persia is an, was an actual location. It was a geographic location. It was a, a, a civilization. The Bible tells us that the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days, but lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the king of Persia. So, uh, uh, and, and, uh, so I want you to, to, to notice what's going on here, and I don't have time to go into uh, all of the details here in Daniel chapter 10, but we have Daniel, who has been given an image of God, a prophecy of God that he doesn't understand, it troubles him, and he begins to fast for 21 days that God would reveal to him what it is that he is seeing. And this angel shows up to Daniel, and he's pretty much explaining to Daniel why it is that he's late, why it took him so long to get to him. And he says, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. Now, when he talks about the prince of the kingdom of Persia, our minds would think about a physical human prince. There physically was a prince of the kingdom of Persia. But this is not a reference to that prince. It is a reference to the demon the devil that is in control of that prince. And we're going to look more uh, into, into the realm of the, of the devil here in a minute. But you need to understand something, that Satan is the one that is in control of the, of the politics and, and the geopolitical system of this world. And you say, who is running, who is running the, 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 the kingdom of Persia? Well, the Persians were, but there was a devil that was assigned to that prince to run that kingdom. And it was the prince of the kingdom of Persia. And, and we'll see it later on in the sermon. But I believe that every major power has a, a, a devil running that organization. There's a prince of the kingdom of Persia. Uh, that's a devil running that organization. And there's a prince of the kingdom of the United States of America. That's the, a devil running that organization as well. You say, are you talking about Joe Biden? I'm talking about Joe Biden and Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton and, and George Bush. I don't care which one, I don't care what political party they are. Listen to me. You don't go that high in a, in a political kingdom uh, as, as powerful as the United States of America without having permission from the devil. He is the ruler of the darkness of this world. And I realize people don't like that. You know, you come to a conservative church and you expect me to be some Fox News Baptist. But that's what the Bible says. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia, and my loyalty is to the word of God, by the way. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. Notice what the Bible says. But lo, Michael, now we already saw that Michael is referred to as an archangel. Michael, one of the chief princes. So again, Beelzebub is referred to as the chief of the devils. 
He's referred to as the prince of the devils. Here, Michael is referred to as one of the chief princes. He's also referred to as an archangel, came to help me, and I remain there with the king of Persia. Look at Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. And at, the, at that time, Daniel 12, 1, and at that time shall Michael stand up. Notice how Michael is referred to, the great prince. So I just want to highlight for you, and we can spend a lot of time going into this, and, I, and I'm not going to do that this morning. But I want you to highlight uh, to you that within the kingdoms of both God and the devil, there is a ranking system. There is a hierarchy. There are ranks with authority. There are, are soldiers, these devils and these angels, underneath these uh, other uh, angels of authority. Go, go, go back to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. So I want you to notice, first of all, the ranks of the devil, the hierarchy. There's a ranking system for the good guys. There's a ranking system for the bad guys. But I want you to notice, secondly this morning... The realms of the devil. Not only the hierarchy, but I want you to understand his kingdom. Now, notice what Jesus, how Jesus speaks about the kingdom of the devil. Now, I want you to understand that Jesus is making a point about the accusation that has been made against him. In Luke 11, 16, the Bible says, And others tempting him sought of him a sign from heaven, and he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, because remember, we, we read just earlier that they accused Jesus and they said that he casted out devils by the chief of the devils, that he's casting out devils by the power of Beelzebub. They said, yeah, he's casting out devils, but he's just doing it because the devil is helping him do it. So here's Jesus' response to, to, to that accusation. Verse 17, Luke eleven seventeen, 17. And he, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, that's a statement of deity, by the way, the fact that he was not a mere man, he was God in the flesh. He knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, notice what he says, how shall his kingdom stand? So here Jesus teaches us or shows us that Satan has a kingdom. Go, go back to Revelation chapter 12, if you would. Revelation chapter 12. Last book in the New Testament should be fairly easy to find, Revelation 12. You say, what is Satan's kingdom made up of? It's made up of two, two different levels. A spirit world that is in control of a physical world. It is made up of a spiritual world. Now, we know that it's not only the devil that's in the spirit world. Obviously, God is a spirit, and the angels, we're told, are ministering spirits. But the devil's kingdom has a spiritual level to it that is in control of a physical level. Jesus said, how shall, the king, how shall, how shall his kingdom stand? Referring to Satan's kingdom, Revelation 12, 3. So what, what is made up of this kingdom? Well, obviously Satan's kingdom is made up of demons. And those are the angels that follow Satan in his, in his sin. Revelation 12 and verse 3, the Bible says, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon. Remember we talked about the dragon? This is Satan. Having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. Notice verse 4. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. Throughout the Bible, angels are often uh, referred to as stars. And in fact, here in Revelation 12, we're going to see that the stars of heaven are a reference to the, uh, to, to the angels. And the Bible tells us that the great red dragon when he uh, went to war with God, that his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, and for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Like I said, we'll go into detail with that tonight. Skip down to verse number 9, Revelation 12 and verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out. Notice that old serpent. What is that a reference to? That's the Garden of Eden. The old serpent the serpent that showed up at the Garden of Eden and tempted uh, mankind and caused them to fall. That old serpent, notice, called the devil and Satan. I like how, I like how the Bible, it's its own commentary. You don't have to, you say, the great red dragon, I have to go read the satanic Bible to find out. No, you don't have to read anything. You don't need any other commentary. Allow the Bible to be its own company. You say, what's the, red, uh, the, the, the great red dragon? Well, if you just keep reading in verse 9, we're told, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent that called the devil and Satan. So we know who the dragon is. 
which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth. And notice, and his angels. They're his angels. They've given their loyalty to him. And his angels, these are the devils or the demons, were cast out with him. So Satan's kingdom is made up of this spiritual level. He's, it's, it's the dragon and his angels, which we would refer to as demons. The Bible refers to as devils. They are, there is a spiritual war, often referred to as spiritual warfare, going on in the spirit world between God and his angels and God's spirit people, saved people, and the devil and his angels. Now those demons are in control of the physical world. Go, go back again to Luke 11. Notice verse 17. Luke 11, 17. But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, notice what he said, notice what Jesus says about the kingdom of Satan. Because remember, he's being accused. Well, you're casting out devils by the prince of the devils. You're casting out devils by Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. You're casting out devils uh, by the power of Satan, is what they're saying. And Jesus says, okay, well, here's the problem. Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall the kingdom stand? Because you say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. Now, Jesus is saying, look, I'm not casting out devils through Beelzebub. I'm fighting the devil. He says, if I were casting out devils, then that would mean that the kingdom of the devil is divided. That's the point that Jesus is making. But what we can gather from that point is this, that Jesus is telling us, look, the kingdom of Satan is not divided. The kingdom of Satan is not at odds with themselves. The kingdom, the, the devil and his minions are not fighting amongst themselves. That's only done by Christians. He, Jesus is telling us, look, the household of Satan, the kingdom of Satan, is a highly organized, highly effective, highly efficient organization that we're at war with. They're not distracted like we are distracted. They're not quarreling like we often quarrel. Jesus tells us, look, Satan's kingdom is highly organized and highly effective. He tells us that the kingdom of Satan, the household of Satan, is organized. And by the way, that's why Satan is accomplishing so much in this world. Go to Ephesians. And in case I'm not being clear, he's our enemy. We don't want him to succeed. But oftentimes we're getting beat by the devil. Because he's organized. And he's about his business. And we need to be as focused and as organized and be about our father's business. Ephesians 2. You're there in Luke Go past John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Now here's what you need to understand. In the spirit world, the devil has these devils, is what the King James Bible calls them. We call them demons. And that, those beings in that spirit world are the puppet masters that are controlling, controlling the geopolitical arena of the physical world, okay? You need to understand that Satan is the one running this world. Amen. Ephesians 2.2, notice what the Bible says. Where in time past, this is Paul speaking to Christians, and he's reminding them about before they were Christians, when they were not saved. He says, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course. Notice the word course. You say, what is a course? A course is a path or a direction, or a, a, a route, a pathway. Paul says, look, before you were saved, ye walked according to the course of this world. You say, well, who's, who's, who's in charge of this course? Who's setting the agenda? Who's creating the pathway that is leading us in this direction? He says, wherein in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. You say, who's that? The prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. You say, why is he called the prince of the power of the air? Part of it is because of the fact that he's a spirit. He's not, we don't physically see him. He's, he's in power of the air. 
I think I also like to think of the fact that you know, Prince of the Power of the Air. That's how we get communication and, and media, and that's one of the major ways that Satan controls this world. Is through the television, through social media. He's the Prince of the Power of the Air. Notice the Spirit, which now worketh in the children of disobedience. Please understand this. Every unsaved person, every and please, please get this. I'm not telling you every unsaved person is a wicked person or a reprobate or or demon-possessed. Unsaved people are just that, unsaved people. They need to have the gospel preached to them. They need to have the Holy Spirit enlighten their eyes and open and wake them up to the truth of God's Word. But unsaved people, all of them, whether they realize it or not, are just all being put under the course of Satan. They're being brought under the agenda of Satan they don't even realize it. You say, how can that be? Here's how it is. Look, you talk to unsaved people. You, you don't get that here at Verity Baptist Church. We've got a church that, you know, is, is, is not, you know, wickedly woke, <laughs> but that is actually awake to the truth, Amen. that has awoken unto righteousness, that actually understands what the Bible says. But look, talk to the average just unsaved. Just go out to a high school or a college campus today and just talk to the average unsaved kid that just grew up under uh, in, in no Christianity. You know what you'll find? Just, a, just a, a generation of buffoons who are just on a court. Just, oh, I don't know. Hey, just whatever. Whatever, man. Just hand me the pot. Whatever. I mean, they're just under the course as well. Just whatever the media tells them, whatever the, the movies tell them, whatever the radio tells them, whatever social media tells them, whatever YouTube tells them, whatever Facebook tells them. You look, you think the average person, if they actually sat down and thought about the nonsense going on in this world, they, if they actually thought about it, they would be okay with it? I mean, you think just a, a normal human being, if they just sat down, a normal male, if he just sat down and thought about the acts being done, within the LGBTQ movement, they wouldn't be repulsed by it. Normal people would be repulsed by it. You say, why? Well, then why is everybody accepting it? Because everybody is blinded by the devil. They're just all being told, this is the way we're going. They're like, okay, whatever, whatever. And Satan just entertains them. And he has, here's how Jesus called it. Jesus called it the Broadway. He said, enter ye into the straight gate, for broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in there at. He said, he said, look, you need to find the straight gate. You need to find the narrow way. But the, 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 the devil is in control of this world. He is setting the course of this world. He's setting the agenda of this world. By the way, that's why, just, just mark it down. Everything that the world is for is, is wrong. If you're ever not sure, like, well, is this right or wrong? First of all, the Bible tells you everything you need to know. But if you're just like, well, I just don't know about this specific situation. Is it right or wrong? Just ask yourself this, people. What are most people doing? I remember growing up, that's what my dad would, would teach us as, we, as kids growing up. If you're ever not sure what's right or what's wrong, just look at what most people are doing. And that's wrong. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for broad is the way. Broad is the way. I mean, everyone is just going down the wrong path. So look, you, even if you just you say, I don't know, I don't know. What, what about uh, this, this issue or that issue? Just ask yourself, what are most people doing? And it, 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 what's popular is wrong because it's Satan's agenda. According to the prince of the power of the air that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You're there in Ephesians 2. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verse 11. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11. And you say, well, Pastor, why are you, why are you preaching about this? Because we're, supposed to, we're in, supposed to be engaged in spiritual warfare. Amen. Fighting the devil and his agenda. Amen. Ephesians 6, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles. You see the word wile there? The word wile or wiles means trap or trickery. Remember wily coyote? He's always trying to trick the roadrunner, right? Against, and, and you, know what, you know what the devil's trying to do to you? He's trying to trick you to, to, to run off a cliff. Against the wiles of the devil, 
For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Don't miss it. Principalities. That's like prince. Remember the, the chief prince, the prince of Persia? Against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Look, we're not at war with physical people. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we are against we are at war with the principalities and the powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world that are controlling the physical world against spiritual wickedness in high places. This is Satan's realm. Satan's kingdom is highly organized and efficient and effective. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Christians, you know, Christians will often go, I don't know how I feel about it. I thought Jesus was in charge. I thought Jesus was king. And I thought Jesus, look, obviously Jesus is God. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's all-knowing, all-powerful. But let me tell you something. Right now, God has allowed Satan to run this world. This world and the world agenda is not being run by God. 2 Corinthians 4. If you're there in Ephesians, you go past, uh, you, you go backwards, past Galatians, past 2 Corinthians into 1 Corinthians, uh, excuse me, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, past Galatians into 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 4. Notice what the Bible says, in whom the God, now you see the, that lowercase g God, that's not God Almighty, this is a false God, in whom the God, the lowercase g God of this world, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. That's the average unsaved person just going down the road of whatever Satan says. Hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. Lest, what's Satan trying to do? He's trying to blind the whole world, distract the whole world, lest or unless the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So notice that the God of this world is working against the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. So who's the God of this world? Lowercase g, God. It's Satan. The devil is the God of this world. He is in control of this world. He runs this world. He and his devils are the principalities and the powers. They are the rulers of the darkness of this world. They are the spiritual wickedness in high places. They control the world, he's the God of this world. By the way, go, go back to Luke chapter 11. That's why Jesus, at the temptation of, devil, uh, of, of Satan, remember Satan comes, and what does he offer him? The kingdoms of this world. He says, worship me and I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. How could Satan offer the kingdoms of this world? Here's how he could, because he runs the kingdoms of this world. So excuse me if I'm not excited that Donald Trump might be running in 2024. Excuse me, look, the Bible says to not put your trust in princes. Put your trust in the Lord. What we can learn, what we can learn is that the realm of the devils is made up of demons, is made up of this spirit world that is in control of this physical world. And look, it is highly organized, highly efficient, highly effective. Satan's good as what, as he's good at what he does. I mean, think about this. Many of you know, you know, just this last week, we had our, our, our YouTube channel, had 23,000 subscribers just shut down. And, and not, just our YouTube, not just that, but all our YouTube, other channels with thousands of subscribers shut down. And, and it's funny to me, you, you can go on YouTube and, and just talk about smut and garbage and sinfulness and, and nobody cares. But, but you have a Bible belief. And, and, you know, we started a, a, another channel. As soon as they shut it down, we're like, well, let's just start another one. I mean, literally, we started a channel called Journey with Jesus. I mean, doesn't that sound peaceful? <laughs> Journey with Jesus. And within two hours, it was shut down. And it's like, Pastor Jimenez, you're not allowed to be on YouTube. Pastor Mejia, you're not. You know, Pastor Mejia's channel was taken down. Pastor Anderson's channel was taken down a while ago. You know, and it says, you say, why? How could it be? How could it be that an organization as big as YouTube can be aware of a little church? I mean, there's 220 people in this auditorium this morning in Sacramento, California, in a, in a, in a warehouse building next to a methadone clinic. How can it be that YouTube, such a large organization, would be so dialed in to our church that we start a YouTube channel called Journey Jesus, and when the two hours is taken down, how could that be? It's because Satan is highly organized. 
And you know what? Satan, you say, well, well, well I know about this mega church on the street and they've got a channel and nobody bothers them because they're not bothering anybody. You know why Satan doesn't mess with them? Because they're not messing with Satan. You know why Satan's messing with us? Because this is what we're preaching. The word of God. Because we're actively fighting against the devil by preaching biblical truth, biblical light, and then by going out and knocking doors and preaching the gospel. Which is exactly how you fight against the devil, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of men which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. He's coming after us because we're pissing him off. And praise God for it. Luke chapter 11. We saw, number one, the ranks of the devil. We saw, number two, the realms of the devil. We saw his hierarchy. We saw his kingdom. But then I want you to notice Jesus spent some time talking about the removal of the devils. And this specifically, the application is what we might refer to as exorcism. And we're going to look at it and study it. Uh, but there's obviously practical applications for all of us. I want you to notice that Jesus first gives us a description of regeneration. And regeneration is a term, a biblical term, that references salvation. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 19, notice what the Bible says. Jesus says, and if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils. Because they said, you're casting out devils by Satan. He says, okay. If I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, he says, by whom do your sons cast them out? Because, you know, there, apparently there was Jewish exorcists during that day, and, and that should not surprise us, because if you remember Acts 19, we have the seven sons of Siva who are trying to cast out devils. So Jesus said, okay, well, if I'm casting out devils by, by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges, verse 20. But if I, with the finger of God... Now, I'm going to come back to that phrase at the end of the sermon, if I with the finger of God, because it's a very interesting phrase, but we'll deal with that later. We'll ignore it for now. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. Verse 21. When a strong man... Now, I want you to understand the context of verse 21, okay? When Jesus begins this, this illustration in Luke eleven twenty-one, 21, when a strong man... When he begins this illustration, he begins that within the context or the conversation of what? Casting out devils. If I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? He says, but if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is upon you. So notice the context is about casting out devils, casting out devils. Then Jesus teaches this lesson about casting out devils. He says, when a strong man... You say, who's the strong man he's referring to? The devil. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he, who's, who's the stronger than he? It's Jesus. It's Jesus through the person of the Holy Spirit. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. I want you to notice that the Bible is indicating for us that the way, you say, how, do, how can we cast out devils today? Because I'm not Paul and I'm not Peter and I can't just, you know, tell them to come out and, and go into a bunch of pigs or whatever. How can we cast out devils today? Because look, there's devils today. There's demon possession today. You say, how do you deal with it? Here's how you deal with it. The only way that you and I are able to cast out devils is to get people saved. You say, why? Here's why. Because when somebody gets saved, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit indwells them. The Holy Spirit, they, the, their body becomes the temple of the Holy Ghost. So though there may be a strong man armed keeping the palace, when a stronger than he, the Holy Spirit of God, when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoil. Go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Because look, saved people cannot be demon-possessed. You say, why can saved people not be demon-possessed? For the same reason, the same reason that getting a demon-possessed person saved 
will remove or cast out or perform an exorcism, if you want to call it that. And don't look, don't get, be thinking about all these movies, all right? Hollywood is a liar, okay? These movies about Catholic priests doing exorcism, all that's a lie. They need to exorcise the demon out of the Catholic priest, okay? None of that is true. But the same reason that in order to cast out a devil, uh, you would get the person saved, the Holy Spirit would move in, and he's the stronger than he that would move. That's the same reason that a, a saved person cannot be demon-possessed. You, you, you're, you're in Matthew 12. Let me just read to you from 1 John 4, 4. The Bible says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So you, why, can a, why can a Christian never be demon-possessed? Here's why. Because if you're saved, if you're truly saved, you have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling you, and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There, he is the strong man. He is the, the stronger than he, and no devil can remove the Holy Spirit. Matthew 12, 28. Notice what the Bible says. I just want you to see it again. Notice the context. Matthew 12, 28. But if I, Jesus, cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's the context. Casting out devils. In that context, he teaches this little parable, verse 29. Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house? Who's a strong man? The devil. And spoil his goods. How can he do that except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. So I want you to see that you say, how do you, how do you the, the devil possessing a human being, Jesus refers to, that as, refers to that as a strong man guarding his palace, his castle. But when a stronger than he comes in, the Holy Spirit, and binds that spirit, that strong man, and casts him out, then the, then the, the house becomes the house of the Holy Spirit, and he will spoil his house. He taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. So what we learn is that the method of casting out devils used by Jesus and the method that you and I should use today is that the Holy Spirit would do it for us. And look, if you ever, if you ever say, I'm dealing with a demon-possessed person, if they're possessed by a devil, if they're truly possessed by a devil, then they're not saved. And, and, and you say, well, what, it's hopeless. Then we need to just try to get them saved. We need to try to speak to the conscience of that individual, present the gospel to them, the glorious gospel of Lord Jesus Christ, that they might get saved and the Holy Spirit would come in because the Holy Spirit is stronger than he. Jesus, through the person of the Holy Spirit, is the one that can remove the strong man. And by the way, this is a description of salvation, of course. Not everybody that gets saved was demon-possessed. But a lot, look, a lot of people are demon-possessed. They don't even know it. And, and when they get saved, the Holy Spirit comes in and the devils go out. This is, a, this is a picture of salvation. This is an explanation of salvation. And this is called regeneration. Regeneration. Let me, let me just give you a couple of verses you don't have to turn here. You can jot these down if you'd like. Titus 3, 5. The Bible says, not by works of righteousness which we have done. This is how somebody gets saved. So how do I get saved? Not by works of righteousness which we have done. That's a false gospel. But according to his mercy, he saved us. And notice how salvation is described by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. The word regeneration, or to regenerate, is defined as the formation of new life. When you got saved, the Bible says that ye were dead in trespasses and sins, but ye were quickened. The word quickened means you were made alive. The Holy Spirit came in. There was regeneration. There was a forming of a new life. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, you don't have to turn there. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When you got saved, you were regenerated. There was a new life. There was a new creature. The Holy Spirit created a new life. You were saved, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy saved us, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. 
That's salvation. That's regeneration. You say, why are you making a big deal about that? Here's why. Because Jesus gives us a contrast. In the previous verses, Luke 11, 19 through 22, he shows us how somebody gets a devil out, performs an exorcism through regeneration. He says, the devil, the demon, is a strong man, and what you've got to do, you say, I, I want to cast the devil out. I need holy water. I need to, uh, you know, say uh, uh, a bunch of chants and prayer. No, all, here's what you need to do. If somebody's demon-possessed, the devil is a strong man, you've got to find a stronger man. Amen. The Holy Spirit of God. That's how you get somebody saved, number one, and that's how you cast out a devil through regeneration. Now, Jesus gives us that little parable about the strong man being cast out by the stronger man, the strong man being bound by he that is stronger and being cast out. Now, in verses 23 to 26, he gives us a contrast to that. In, in the previous verses, he gives us what we refer to as regeneration. That's done through the Holy Ghost. In verses 23 to 26, he gives us what we refer to as reformation. This is what the world does. This is what the world does. Because look, demon, the world tries to help demon-possessed people. And the world tries to help people that are just not demon-possessed, but people that are, that are under the bondage of sin, under the bondage of, of Satan. But what the world does cannot be called regeneration. Only God can give life. The, what the world does must be called reformation. You say, what does is, what is reformation or reform mean? It means to make changes in something in order to improve it. See, you see what the world does? The world just tries to help you make change, changes to improve you. God doesn't try to do that. God says, let's start all over. New life, new creature, spiritual man, regeneration. Notice, notice what reformation does, Luke eleven twenty three. He that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth. Verse 24, when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man. So now we have an example of an exorcism done not through regeneration, but through reformation. When the unclean spirit is gone out of the man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. He, the unclean spirit, saith, I will return unto my house. My house is a reference to the person that was demon-possessed. I will return unto my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. See, Jesus says, these are two ways, two different ways about, uh, in which you can bring change into your life. One way is to get saved and allow the strong man of the Holy Spirit to have dominion in your life. And of course, just getting saved doesn't mean your life is going to change. But as you walk in the Spirit and allow the Spirit to have dominion in your life, that will bring change and that will bring lasting change. Or you can do what the world does, and that's just reformation, where you try to do better. You cast out the devil, there's the example being given here, for a while, and for a while things get better. And, and, but when the devil returns, he findeth it swept and garnished. Things are better. Things are cleaned up. But you know, the problem with reformation is that it's not long-lasting, and at the end, the state of the man is worse than the first. These are the two types of, of ways of solving demonic possession, but also just demonic influences in life. This is, this is not just for demon possession. The, 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 the principle, Jesus is talking about demon possession, but the principle that we're learning, this, this can be applied to victory over sin in general. You say, what, what's the application? Here's the application. Victory through sin in general can only be done through the Holy Ghost. Say, well, no, I've seen people do it without Christianity. Yeah, but here's the difference. When the Holy Ghost does it, it'll be comprehensive and it'll be long-lasting. See, here's the truth. You can go down to AA and they'll help you stop drinking alcohol. Or they'll help you get off of drugs. 
You can go down to the world's secular psychology and counseling, and they'll help you with whatever uh, issue you need. And I'm not down on those things. I, I believe those, those people are trying, their heart's in the right place. They're trying to help people. But here's the problem. You know what AA is not going to deal with? AA is not going to deal with your pride. AA is not going to deal with your rebellious attitude towards God. AA is not going to deal with, uh, you know, the, you know well, you're, you've got a heroin addiction. You've got an alcohol addiction. Let us help you with that. But they don't care that you're committing adultery on your wife. They don't care that you're, you're, you're being lazy and, 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 and not providing for your family. See, the, you say, why, do people, why, do they, why, why would people rather get help through the world versus the Holy Spirit? Here's why. Because when the Holy Spirit helps you, it must be comprehensive. You can't come to God and say, God, just help me with this one addiction. I, I struggle with uh, smoking cigarettes. Help me with this one addiction. God says, no, we'll help you with the cigarettes, and we'll help you with the pride, and we'll help you with the arrogance, and we'll help you with the lying. We'll help you with all of it. We don't want just uh, to reform you. We want to regenerate you. Amen. New life in Christ. Amen. Comprehensive, long life. You say, well, I don't want that. I just want issues because I got a DUI. I just got to do this one thing. Here's the problem. At the end... The state of the man is worse than the first. That's a description between reform and regeneration. So we need God. You need the Holy Spirit of God. You need the help of God. Now let me just highlight a couple of verses for you just as we end this morning. Go to Luke chapter 11. Look at verse 20. Just as we end this morning, let me just highlight a couple of these things. First of all, I want you to notice the power of Jesus. In Luke 11 and verse 20, the Bible says, but if I with the finger of God, I want you to notice that little phrase that Jesus says, if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now that phrase, the finger of God, is used only one other time in our entire King James Bible and is specifically is teaching a certain concept. Let me show it to you. Go to Exodus, if you would, Exodus chapter 7. All the way in the Old Testament, you have the book of Genesis and then you have the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7 and verse 11. Now, if you're familiar with Exodus, you'll know, especially chapter 7 and 8, which is the chapter we're going to look at, we're in the midst of what's known as the ten plagues of Egypt, where Moses and Aaron are bringing the judgment of God upon Egypt, and they're bringing these ten plagues. Exodus chapter 7 and verse 11 says this, Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. Now, what are the wise men and the sorcerers? These are devil demon-possessed people, these are, they're in the occult. They're worshiping the devil, all right? Now, just for you to get the context, this is after Aaron, after the first meeting between Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh, and God told Aaron to cast his rod down, and the rod became a serpent. And that was supposed to be a sign to Pharaoh that, look, Moses and, 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 and Aaron are not here on their own authority they're here under the authority of God. That's why they're saying, thus saith the Lord. So they cast out the rod, and it turns into a serpent. And, and that's supposed to show that they are there with the power of God. But when Aaron cast out the, the rod, and it turns into a serpent. Pharaoh, the Bible tells us, verse 11, Exodus 7, 11. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. Now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments, for they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. So I want you to notice, Aaron says, look, if you don't believe that we're coming from God, he throws down his rod, it turns into a serpent, he says, God did that. And then Pharaoh says, oh, really? He calls his magicians and his sorcerers, they all show up with their rod, they cast them down, they all turn into serpents. And Pharaoh says, my magicians are as good as you. And look, here's what we can learn from the story, is that Satan has power. Satan had the ability to have those magicians' rods turn into serpents. Now, there should have been a hint. There's a hint here to the outcome of this in verse 12. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. You know, that, that should have been a hint. When, you cast, when Aaron cast down a serpent, they cast down their rods, they turn to serpents, but then Aaron's serpent goes and eats their serpents. That should have been a hint that, yes, Satan has power, but not like God. But I just want you to notice, notice this play out. Look at verse 22, Exodus 7.22. In Exodus 7.22, we have Moses and Aaron. This is after they performed the first 
miracle or the first plague of turning water into blood. They turn the, the river into blood. Notice what Pharaoh does. And the, uh, and the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Neither did he hearken unto them as the Lord had said. So Moses and Aaron put the, the, the rod of God in the river and turned the river into blood, turned the water into blood. And then the Bible tells us that Pharaoh calls his uh, magicians and they also turn water into blood. Now, I don't know how they, maybe they were just making Kool-Aid or something. I don't know. But they, they did something. They took water and turned it into blood. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He says, well, look, my magicians can turn water into blood just like you. Go to Exodus 8, verse 7. Exodus 8, 7. Aaron has now made frogs to come up and covered the land of Egypt. Notice, and the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. So Aaron brings frogs upon the land of Egypt. The magicians bring frogs upon the land of Egypt. Aaron turns water into blood. The magicians turn water into blood. Aaron makes, a, 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 the, the, makes his a staff uh, into a serpent, his rod into a serpent. The magicians make their rod into a serpent. Look at verse 18. In Exodus 8.18, now Aaron has brought lies throughout all the land of Egypt. Aaron and Moses have brought lies throughout all the land of Egypt. Of course, Pharaoh looks at his magicians and says, you do it too. Exodus 8.18, and the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice. So they, they tried to do it. Notice these words. But they could not. But they could not. So there were lice upon man and upon beast. So this whole time they've been matching. Water into blood, serpents from rods, the frogs. But then there comes a point where he puts the lice out and, they, and the magicians, they, they go to do the same thing. But they could not. So there was lice upon man and upon beast. Verse 19 Exodus 8, 19, and the magician said unto Pharaoh, the only other time this phrase is found in our King James Bible, then the magician said unto Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. They said, this is the finger of God. You say, what does that mean? They, they said, this is unique to God. Only God can do that. We can put Kool-Aid and water we can, we can pull a frog out of a top hat. We, we can turn a rod into a serpent, but they said, this is the finger of God. They said, this is unique to God. Only God can do this. And if you think about it, even in our modern, you know, you want to talk about how, science, how the Bible is always ahead of science. You know what's unique to you as a human being? The fingerprint on your finger. They said, this is the fingerprint of God. Only God. This is unique to God. And Jesus, thousands of years later, said, but if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils. You say, what's the lesson? Here's the lesson. And it's really the lesson, the entire lesson. Go, go back to Luke chapter 11. Let me give you the application. Here's the entire thing that Jesus is trying to teach us. When Jesus says, if I, with the finger of God, Jesus knows that he's quoting the book of Exodus. The only other time in the entire kingdom of his Bible that that phrase is used is used by magicians who have been copying God, copying God, copying God, but then they could not copy God any further, and they said, this is the finger of God. This is the fingerprint of God. This is unique to God. You say, what's the lesson that Jesus is teaching? Here's the lesson. The lesson is this. Satan is powerful. Satan is strong. Satan has power. He has might. He has dominion. He has authority. He's a foe to, 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 be, to, to not be played with. We need to understand and have some respect for the fact that Satan is powerful, but God is more powerful. He may be the strong man, but God is stronger. He may be the strong man, but when one is stronger than he comes. See, Satan has his limits. He, he can control things up to a point. But there comes a point where he can't match himself to God, and this is the finger of God. And you know who, who, and you know who quoted that or who personalized that? Jesus said, I am the finger of God. Luke eleven twenty three. 23, look at it, we're done. So there's a choice that has to be made. You can't be neutral about this thing, spiritual warfare. You've got to make a choice. Luke eleven twenty three. 23, he that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth. 
Say, I don't want to be involved in spiritual warfare. I just want to be saved and go to church. and just I don't want to have to struggle and I don't want to have to fight. That's not a choice. When you got saved, you were enlisted in the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth. You say, I don't know, Pastor. You're talking about the devil. You're going to talk about the devil tonight. It's kind of scary. You know, you got to thank God. You gotta, you, let, me, let, me, let me help you out with something. The devil hates you. He wants to destroy your life. He acts like he's your friend. He tempts you and says, come drink this. Come smoke this. Come inject this. Come sniff this. It'll be fun. He's not your friend. He wants to destroy your life. That's all he wants. He hates you. So that's not very encouraging on a Sunday morning. You know, what, you know what's more encouraged? You, you know, you should be encouraged. This should encourage you. The devil hates you. That should be encouraged. You should leave here this morning and be like, I'm encouraged. The devil hates my gut. He wants to destroy my family. He wants to destroy my life. He wants to ruin my testimony. The devil you say, why does that encourage me? Uh, here's, because, because here's the, the, there's a polarity in this fight. And if the devil doesn't hate you, then the opposite is worse if he likes you. Because if the devil hates you, that means you're on the right side. Because he hates the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I want the devil to not hate me. Well, in order for the devil to not hate you, you'd have to be on his side. And you'd have to be against Jesus. But if the devil hates you, that means you're with Jesus. Because he that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth. And you know, this devil is a strong man. But Jesus is stronger. He has power, but Jesus has more power. There's a limit to the devil's strength. But Jesus said, if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this passage of Scripture. And, Lord, I know it can be heavy and not something we generally want to talk about, the devil. His ranks and his realm. But, Lord, I pray that you would help us to... to Understand that we are engaged in spiritual warfare. It is a fight. And the devil's not a friend. He wants to destroy us. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to learn these things, to apply it. Lord, help us to take confidence in the fact that Jesus is the stronger than he. That the devil has his limits. And there comes a point where the finger of God is seen. We love you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to have Brother Matt come up and lead us in a final song. just want to uh, remind you uh, that we'd love for you uh, to uh, come back tonight, 6 p.m., for the evening service. Don't forget.